welcome our, our guest speaker, Rick Somerville. Um, there's, there's three people that I know like us. He is a science teacher at Walhalla Middle. And um, there's, there's another guy we, we, we hang out with, Brock Bailey. And he's a, he was a PE teacher at, at Daniel. And, you know, here I am, a teacher at, at Tomasi Salem. And we've all been called into the ministry. And it's just we, we try to get together and meet once a month and just talk about, you know, just what all this means and how to do it and to pray for each other. Because, honestly, I don't think any of us knows what we're doing. We're just trying to serve God the best we can. So I um, do want to you guys to welcome our, our guest speaker, um, Rick Somerville. Come on up. And before we get started, I want to pray for us. Father God, thank you so much just for this opportunity to come here and celebrate, Lord, that baby that was born in a manger by a virgin, Lord, your son, Jesus Christ, who came to take our sin, to take my sin. And I've heard that my whole life, and I can't imagine how many times I've heard it and just didn't even think much about it, Lord. But the, the older I get and the more you fill me with your spirit, Lord, it's just an amazing thing to, to know, Lord, that that's the greatest news on this planet, Lord, that you did come. And you did, Lord, you, you took my sin and you, you punished them on your own son on the cross, Lord. And you made me clean. You made me free. Now, Lord, I can be free from the sin that enslaves and ensnares and destroys my life, Lord. I can be free to read your word and learn about you and to honor you. And you will allow me, Lord, a, a sinner saved by your grace into your presence, Lord. And I pray here at Lifeline, that's what we hunger and thirst for more than anything in this world is more of your presence. Bless Rick, Lord. Fill him with your spirit as he brings your word. Bless us, Lord, as we sit in the congregation and listen, Lord, as always open our eyes so that we might see our ears, that we might hear our mind, that we might know and Lord, our hearts, so we'll leave here loving you just a little bit more. There's nobody like you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Well, that's an amazing prayer to follow. I tell you, um, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, it's, it's been since last summer, I guess, the last time I got to come here. And I, I thank you for the opportunity to share what God has placed on my heart. And as I stand before you prepared to share this message, just a, a little aside, um, Adam mentioned, you know, that there's three of us that are, are really pursuing God, trying to live out God's calling in our lives. And so for the past few years, I've been journaling and I'll write what essentially is uh, the skeleton of what might someday be a, a sermon. And I was all prepared to bring one of those messages here today. And, uh, and then God stepped in like he does. And the message I'm about to tell you, uh, nobody here knew. The musicians had no idea what I was going to say. And Adams, in his prayer, he had no idea what I was going to say. I, I think you'll be uh, maybe moved not by my words, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit. As your pastor, Adam, would say, I'm trying more and more to be present with God. And 
in that, I would ask that you would join me in the Lord's Prayer because for me and for many of you, the Lord's Prayer is one of those things that just kind of connects me. These were, were Christ's own words that we can, can, can pray to Him. So if you would, join me in, in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. You know, we say that prayer, my boys and I, um, when I used to take them uh, to, to daycare, um, and then any time we're in the car together, we used to try to get together, and I lead them in that little prayer, and it's so cool because the way my kids finish it, it just, it just brings out something in me and, and probably would be in you as well. They, as soon as we, we get through saying amen, I hear this, I love you, Jesus, and then this big, yeah, and it's like you're at an athletic event getting fired up. And you know, to be honest, when we approach God, yes, we approach Him in reverence, but we also approach Him in, in, in celebration. And, and it's exciting to be a part of His kingdom. Well, how many of y'all are suffering from turkey overload? Anybody out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I hope that you had a restful Thanksgiving. And like many of you, I ate more than I should have. And I barely made a dent in what mom and my sister and my wife uh, prepared. Uh, uh, where I'm from, you would say there was a whole lot of good eating going on. Isn't it amazing that we live in a nation where we have an entire holiday dedicated to thanks and thankfulness, to celebrate the blessings that we have. As Christians, we, we gather like everyone else and cook like everyone else. We eat like everyone else. We relish in the aromas, and a lot of us watch football. But in this holiday, this Thanksgiving, I think as Christians we have a little bit different take and that comes from the very beginning and the foundations of our nation. You see, we come together and we celebrate making it through another year. Our mere survival wasn't at, at, at stake like that of the original colonists. But we, we come together and we say, thank you, God. And it's become a tradition. And like many of you, my family, we're, we're developing traditions and we're a young family, my oldest is five, but we're developing these, tra these traditions that we hope to carry on through generations. And one of them that we do is that the day after Thanksgiving, we always go up to the mountains in search of a Christmas tree. And that evening, we come home and we celebrate with eggnog and hot chocolate and a movie. And as the dad, and I'm sure many of you dads uh, have experienced this, I, I get the pleasure of, you know, hauling the tree off the car bringing the tree to the front porch, setting the tree down, cutting the tree, trimming the tree so that it'll fit inside the little stand, then placing the tree in the stand, carrying it in, setting it up, and then getting out of the way. I do get to use the chainsaw, though, and that really impresses my kids. My wife would probably say the chainsaw's a bit of overkill when you're trimming the tree that's coming inside the house, but it, it, it's a lot of fun. At any rate, um, what I as a father really cherish is that opportunity to sit back and watch my kids 
and the excitement in their eyes as they decorate and decorate and decorate. And of course, my wife is, is constantly doing this. She's reaching down where they're putting them and putting, them, putting the ornaments higher on the tree because the tree at the bottom sort of drops down and then at the top it has no ornaments. So, so she makes it look perfect. But it's a tradition that, that just in the few years that I've been a dad, I, I just, I love. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but I pray that it does last. And as long as it does, I'm going to enjoy the experience. But it was during this process, just a few days ago, that I had an awakening of sorts. It brought me to another level in the development I have as a Christian. To set the stage, you have to understand, like many of you, I love the holiday season. I have ever since I was a kid. But have any of you ever experienced a letdown at the end of the Christmas season? And, and I say that in, in all sincerity. I get so excited about the whole season, and then it's over. And like many of you growing up in South Carolina, if we don't get snow, I'm ready for spring, you know, as soon as Christmas is over. But I had an experience the other day that taught me a lot about this thing that, that we call Christmas. Growing up, my family did a great job of, of really celebrating uh, what it is to be the Christmas season. And I remember one year as a kid, I got out the Andy Williams tape. Do any of y'all remember that? For those of you that are too young to remember what a tape was, that's just a short name for this thing we called a cassette, and it was way, way before any kind of digital media. But just pretend it's, it's that thing that you guys have now. It's an MP3 or whatever they call them now. But anyway, on that first day of October, my brother, my sister, and I, we got out the Andy Williams tape, and on side one, they had sides back then, on side one, the first song was Holiday Season. And I remember us just dancing around and hooping and hollering and having a great thing because, you know, the holiday season was finally upon us. And for roughly three months, I purposefully set out trying to enjoy the experience. And I bet if we went around this congregation, you all have moments burned into your memories of holiday excitement. Do you all remember the Sears catalog? You remember taking that thing out and flipping to the toy section? That was awesome. We, you know, back in the day, we had these things called catalogs that came in the mail. And we would look at these toys, and we would look at all the cool stuff that we would want. And some of you all know what I'm talking about, and some of you have no clue because you're too young. I also remember the toy commercials. Remember those? On Saturdays. Remember cartoons would come on on Saturdays and we'd have all these toy commercials. And then Rudolph and Charlie Brown and Frosty coming on once a season. And it was a big deal not to miss those awesome holiday experiences. Of all these memories, I have to say that the Christmas tree in my parents' house growing up was a sight to behold. It was sort of the focal point of my own excitement. And I can remember sitting in front of the fireplace as we heated our home with wood using a, an old buck stove. And I remember sitting there staring at the Christmas tree and just all of the ornaments, uh, ornaments that we had made, you know, at school. And they were ugly, but mom loved them. Ornaments from places like TGNY and Roses. Y'all remember those? Okay, yeah. That was before Walmart. But I remember staring at those longing for Christmas Day. I remember one time I came home from school. It was the last day of school before Christmas break. I came home. 
Uh, my buddies and I had all gotten together and agreed that we would all buy models for each other. We had all these airplane models I was putting together, and there I had an entire flight formation of airplanes, World War II planes that I had built. And I crawled underneath the Christmas tree just to look up through the branches and see all the lights. And some of you may have done that, and others of you may think I'm, I'm nuts for that, but it was fun. But uh, one year in particular, our Christmas tree served a different kind of focal point. You see, Mom and Dad were in the process of remodeling their home, and they had a lot of insulation rolled up outside the house. And so... <laughs> There they were, you know, all the walls have been, you know, torn apart and they were putting up this insulation, everything. We had the Christmas tree set up in the room adjoining the room they were working on. And uh, (laughs) apparently that insulation looked like an inviting place for a squirrel to kind of make a nest. Now, I don't know if that squirrel was making a nest to stay there all winter or if he was just cold or if he was just looking for somewhere to put his acorns. But uh, needless to say, that roll of insulation got brought into my parents' house, and it was unrolled, and much to the excitement of the kids and the chagrin of the squirrel, uh, he came flying out of that insulation, and the only thing in his little squirrel brain that looked remotely familiar was our Christmas tree. My mom, oh my gosh, it was so funny to hear her scream, but you know, for once, my brother and I were not involved in this. Like We were completely innocent. We had nothing to do with it. We never found that squirrel. To this day, nobody knows where that squirrel went. I mean, I just envision the squirrel coming down out of the tree, getting a drink out of the, you know, the stand at the bottom, crawling over to the kitchen table, getting a few nuts, and coming back in and hiding until January. But that's a memory from our, my childhood involving that tree. And as an adult, I've tried to merge a lot of the memories that I have into this holiday-slash-Christmas season that I'm, I'm helping my, my children enjoy. But it seems elusive. The holiday experience seems elusive. Have any of you followed this path? Have you tried really hard to make it a great holiday season only to see it sort of just wiggle just beyond your reach? If you've been able to pull off that balanced holiday season, I'm, I'm impressed. But... I come back to this question. How is it that the celebration of the birth of our Savior, the Savior of this world, has metamorphosed in what we have today? Please don't get me wrong. I love the holiday season. I love seeing my kids' eyes light up when they see Santa. To be truthful, my eyes light up when I see Santa. I love all of the different colors. It's just great. But it seems that no matter how many times I try to immerse myself in this experience, the eventual letdown of December 26 comes like a Monday morning after a three-day weekend. You know it's coming. It's just another day. But but there's something missing. And this was never so poignant than when stringing the lights of our tree this year. I voiced a thought I had in my head in front of my wife. You husbands in this room have probably done that. I said, a month from today, it will all be over. And her look would have been enough to put me in my place. But in wisdom, only a wife can offer when her husband puts his foot in his mouth. She quietly uttered something to the effect, we just started decorating. And that's when it hit me, my awakening. Even as a Christian, I have been 
after the wrong end result. I realized I was seeking meaning and to some degree fulfillment as much in the celebration itself as in God's demonstration of love. I was seeking both while achieving neither. And it was a classic case, I think, what what Christ would have referred to as being lukewarm. And I was humbled by the words of my wife, which led to a deeper understanding of what was done so long ago. Here is God in perfect union with the Trinity, who says, those people, they're worth so much. Let me reach out to them. I'll start where they start, and I'll walk among them. Listen to the familiar words from Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 14. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. If you were the God of the universe, and you were going to make contact with with the world, would you pick the path that Jesus walked to get our attention? He knew from the beginning what was at the end of this encounter with humanity. Paul's words in Philippians 2, 6-11, poetically state this in words we can understand. The sacrifice that this baby would eventually make. Listen, listen as I read my... I'm, I've got to get used to the, being over here. I'm used to pulling from my Bible here. Who in being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
quite a sacrifice. Think of the babies and the small children you have encountered. When I look at my children, I often thank God for the men they will become. Their mother and I can input everything we know into their minds in an effort to prepare them for what they might face in their lives. But no matter how old they get, how independent, how close or how far they live from us, eventually we will have to send them out into this world. Our babies will move beyond our reach and into the world around us. They will be on their own and they will make choices that will have impacts on others. As parents, many of you understand your love for them is so great, words fail to accurately convey what you know deep inside. Now, if you had the gift of foresight, don't you think you would do everything in your power to prevent any tragedy that was ahead of them? kind of puts the words of John 3.16 into perspective. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Can you imagine knowingly sending your child to face what Christ faced on this earth, on our behalf? I'm not sure I could do it. In fact, to be honest, I really know that I couldn't. But I am thankful that God did. Each month, Adam and I get together with our friend Brock, and he gave you a brief history, and we talk about what God is doing in our lives. It's a time of fellowship, friendship, and growth. And I say growth because every time we gather together, I either hear something meaningful from the two of them, or I hear God through the words that they speak. And last month, your pastor, Adam, said something that stuck with me that kind of puts this sacrifice in perspective. I'm sure you've heard him say it, but if somehow you missed it, just know that I don't get credit for something this cool. We were having a discussion about growing closer to God, and Adam said this. I remember he was sitting right across from me. I was, I was wolfing down a sub sandwich, and he says this amazing, profound thing, and I had to sort of stop. He says, you know... God created the heavens and the earth. And He told the stars where to shine and the water where to stop. Then He created man and said, follow me. And man said, no. Now, if you had gone to all the trouble to create all things and then were soundly rejected by the way your creation chose to enact free will, what would you have done? It's a good thing we aren't God. Rather than giving us what we deserved, he sent a baby to live and walk with us, not in a family of earthly kings, but in a family that had to bring him into the world in a barn. There was no fancy baby bed. It was a food trough. Why would the God of the universe ever do that? What does he see in us that could possibly justify what he did knowing what we would do. He knew what was coming and willingly went to the cross after a short ministry trying to convince us to be different. Our fickle nature and our mob mentality, protectionism of things that are here today and gone tomorrow, coupled with our selfish nature, led to a second moment in history that for you and I made all the difference. Again, why would he do that? I think the words found in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 give some insight. 
And if you have your, your Bible, follow along. But here it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Clarity from our Father in heaven. But still, it's difficult for me to grasp why things happen here the way that they do. Sometimes I know without a shadow of a doubt that I've seen God act in various situations, and then other times when I'm sure His divine intervention is is not only needed, but the only way to get through it, I'm blind to His actions. Yet again, I hear the words from Isaiah, I may not understand what is going on, but I have to stand on those promises that He sees what I cannot see, that He does what I cannot do. The recent loss of a very dear friend of mine is still stinging in a way that I've not been able to get my heart around. It often leaves me frustrated. Why was he taken from his wife and sons? Why did this happen? It is the big picture that I cannot see, coupled with the fog of deception permeating our existence in this fallen world that I find so frustrating. I want to see God act in every situation I encounter. I have no doubt that He does. But from my limited perspective, I can't see it. And I'm not going to tell you some cliche justifying God's ways of handling things, especially for those of you who, like me, have experienced loss. But what I believe is that God's ways are higher than my ways, and that He sees what I cannot see on this side of eternity. Someday, I have no doubt, I will understand all of this. But for now... I have those words from Isaiah. So that takes me back to the awakening I had when we began decorating the tree this year. Here on earth, humanity, with all its good and bad, is born, lives, and dies just like every other biological organism. What we do with that time is what separates us from the rest of creation. We are born with a spirit, and that spirit is given to us by God And it is our connection to His Holy Spirit that provides us with a glimpse of what exists in God and the relationship within the Trinity. In the very fiber of our DNA, we both feel and know we are created for far more than what we see around us. It drives us to seek that connection with the ideal. And while our our perception of that ideal may change, we always know that there is more than what we see. How many perfect things have you been tried to be a part of? From holidays to birthday parties to weddings, hikes, vacations, building homes. We seek that perfection, and it always seems just outside our grasp. But what we know is that we were born to experience it. I sought the perfect holiday experience knowing the letdown would come no matter how close I came to the vision I had in my mind of what could be. And then it clicked. It is not about the celebration, but the reason for the celebration. Why couldn't I see that? The fulfillment I am seeking in the holiday season is found in loving Christ daily and being His instruments for those around us. 
as it is stated in the familiar words of Christ from Matthew 6.33, we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to us. To find the joy of the holiday season, I need to focus more on Christ in everything that I do. Not just for those few months from October through New Year's. As your pastor Adam would say, I need to be present. We will never be Jesus, that is no doubt. But we can strive to be as much like Him as we can, demonstrating His ways to the world. In 1 John 4.19 it says, We love because He first loved us. And that passage goes on to say in verse 20, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Seems a little harsh. I know I have fallen victim to being easily offended by those who would seek to remove Christ from everything in society, including Christmas. It bothers me, but how I react can make all the difference in that person's future. Reacting in love can plant a seed, whereas reacting in anger can destroy my witness. Let our daily actions demonstrate the love in the birth of Christ into our world. Christ is our example that we are to follow. And when we hear somebody say happy holidays, rather than being offended, live our lives in such a way that people can't help but see Merry Christmas in us. They will love because they were first loved. When the inevitable night of the 25th of December arrives, rather than looking back at what was and longing at what could have been, remember what is ahead. As much as we looked forward to Christmas as children with an almost unbearable excitement, I feel that gives us a glimpse of what God must feel as He awaits our return to heaven. He did the unthinkable for our sake some 2,000 years ago. He longs to reach out to us as we arrive home, for it is written in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. The baby was born, and because of that, Our Father awaits our arrival home. And my friends, that is a reason to celebrate Christmas. The Word of God for the people of God. Amen.